So we're in the middle now of our series in the seven last words of Jesus. First three um, messages were a reflection of Jesus' concern for other people, right? Um, he said, Father, forgive them for the crowd. He told the, the, the um, criminal on the, the cross next to him that today you will be with me in paradise. And he entrusted John and his mother into each other's care. Now, as at the middle of these, the, the fourth of these sayings, we start to see something of the internal workings of what's happening in Jesus' life. His own internal struggles. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a strong word, forsaken. Um, it means abandoned, deserted, cast off. Not something you ever want to be. But the truth of the matter is, unless you lead a particularly charmed life, um, we will all at some point or another feel abandoned. That's just part of life. And along with abandonment come, come all kinds of feelings. Disappointment, discouragement, sadness, depression, anger. When I was 17... My mother died of Parkinson's disease. Uh, she had been sick for a number of years, so it was, it was no great surprise. About a week after she died, I was supposed to go on a church camp for a week. I hummed and hawed, but in the end, I went. When I came back, my father who was a merchant seaman and had hap just happened to be home for a couple of months because he'd um, got his finger caught in a, in a winch and been injured. So uh, he'd been home when my mother died. But when I got back from the camp, my father was gone. He'd gone back to his ship and uh, hadn't even mentioned that to me. He just left while I was, uh, while I was away. So three weeks later, I left for university and my aunt moved into the house. She's split up with her husband, and so this is my father's sister, moved into the house. Um, when I came back at Christmas, things didn't go so well, and her boyfriend threw me down the stairs. Um, I decided at that point it'd be healthier if I moved out. Um, so in less than six months, I'd lost two things that had always been in my life. My mother... And my home. My dad had basically cast me off. Uh, I only saw him two more times and, and before he died four years later. And that was, we just randomly saw each other on public transport. It was a, um, a difficult time. I could no longer stay in my home. I no longer had family. Um, I felt abandoned. I stayed for a while with the um, family of a friend in church. I just earlier, about a year earlier, I'd become a Christian. And the church saved my life in many ways. 
you know, when I, when I talk about church being my family, it's not a metaphor. Okay. So I stayed with the family of a friend until I was able to move in with my older sister and her husband. And even as I'm talking about this again, this week as I revisited it, as I was preparing the message, and again this morning as I talk about it, um, the, the feelings come, come back up, right? Because that's, that's how feelings are. When you revisit the memories, the feelings can be almost as fresh as they were the first day. In the days before, I was going to to say, in the days before easy international travel. Well, actually, we may be back to those days now. Anyway, um, (laughs) um, even before long-distance telephone calls, when somebody left on a journey to a distant part of the world, their family wouldn't necessarily expect to see them again or maybe even hear from them again. In Ireland, when people left to emigrate to North America they would have what they called an American wake. In Celtic countries, a wake is when is a traditional gathering before a funeral. Um, the coffin, coffin is opened in the front room of the house and refreshments are served. And it's a way of saying goodbye to the deceased. But an American wake was a wake for the living. One writer writes, for the vast, vast majority of those who left, it would not only be the last time they would see each other, but in many a case might be the last that they might even have, even hear from each other. Due to vagaries of ocean travel and the uncertainty of life in a new land with little reliable communications. Especially for the poverty-stricken and often illiterate immigrants from Ireland. Those who left, but especially those who stayed, would experience loss and abandonment as their family members went off to make a better life for themselves and their families. I have friends back in Canada who work with a a refugee resettlement ministry called Micah House. And uh, they have a t-shirt. The slogan of the t-shirt is, no one chooses to become a refugee. And in our congregation, our home church in Canada, there were a significant number of refugee families. Originally from a wave from political upheaval in Latin, Latin America and Central America in the 80s. More recently from places like Zimbabwe and Myanmar. And they've all experienced sadness, disappointment, tears. Even as they sought to build a new life for themselves. Because it's, it's both. You know, you, you leave and you, you have loss, even as you're trying to build a new life for yourself. And it's the same for peop- some people in this congregation, right? Mixed in with the hope of a new life here in Turkey is a sense of loss and abandonment of leaving everything you've ever known. But you don't have to be a refugee to experience those emotions. Parents move away from their children or children move away from their parents. And there's feelings of loss. Same thing happens when someone dies. You see, specifically, particularly with older couples, and there's this, this sense that the, the remaining partner feels, why, why did you leave me to face of my, the end of my life all alone without you? And you don't need to be married for a long time to experience that, right? It's, you, 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 you bond with someone and then they're not there anymore. 
could go, I could go on. There's all kinds of senses of abandonment in our lives. Families break up. Someone moves away. I'm sure there's people around the world feeling abandoned right now. Those who have lost loved ones to the coronavirus. Those who are restricted to their home and can't have any contact with people, right? They're feeling frightened, confused. Has God abandoned them to this invisible killer? So most people feel abandonment at some point in their lives. And there's all those feelings that go along with it, right? Sadness, disappointment, anger. Because feelings aren't rational or intelligent. They just are. They just are. You can't control them. And they're often directed at the person you feel has abandoned you. The words that Jesus spoke from the cross come from the Old Testament. Psalm 22 begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then it goes on to say, Why are you so far from saving me, Lord? Why are you so far from my groaning? Why do I cry out to you, but you do not answer? A while ago, I was reading a devotional on Psalm 102. Psalm 102, like Psalm 22, and 50% of the Psalms is a lament. It's a psalm of complaint. Part of the commentary says this. Many Christians have the odd idea that it's fine to recount how awful we used to feel, but it's not okay to declare that at this very moment we are thoroughly fed up. We seem to believe that testimony is only permissible when we are back on good, permissible ground, respectable ground. The example of the psalmist seems to suggest this is a big mistake. In many places, these writers tell God and others, because the psalms are public works, they tell God and others about their most desolate feelings right where they are. We must surely conclude that the genuine, genuine expression of deeply negative feelings is therefore not always wrong. Job's another example, right? He loses his farms, he loses all his animals, he loses his children, he loses everything. And he felt that God had abandoned him, deserted him. He's angry with God. And all through the book of Job, you hear him arguing with Job, but with God, yelling at God. Thing is, at the end of the book, it's Job that God declares righteous. Not all his friends who were spouting nice religious platitudes. Job's the one that's declared, declared righteous. And God tells him to pray for his friends. See, God isn't offended by Job's anger. He's not offended by our anger. He knows how you feel already, right? One of the lasting effects of the Holocaust is a sense that many Jews have that God abandoned them in the death camps. When the planes crashed into the Twin Towers in New York, thousands of people were looking up and asking, my God, my God, what is happening? Where are you? What's going on here? Overwhelmed with feelings of sadness, confusion, anger, rage. And today, when we see the kind of carnage that's been going on in Idlib or in Yemen, we ask, why? 
How long, Lord? The same goes, I think, for the spread of the coronavirus. I know that in recent weeks, I have asked why viruses even exist in the first place. What possible purpose do they serve? I don't know. And so that brings us to the text for today. Not from Psalm 22, but from the lips of Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's Golgotha, the place of execution. It's Friday. The text tells us that Jesus has been on the cross for three hours. While he's hanging there, the sky turns dark. It's almost like the sun can't bear to shine on the suffering of the Son of God. By three o'clock, Jesus is coming closer to his death. The Bible tells us he cries out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Aramaic, his mother tongue. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you deserted me? Why have you forsaken me? Now, a couple of weeks ago, I said that Jesus always addresses God as Father. I was wrong. Okay? So one time he doesn't do that. Is here. But actually, that only makes this even even more significant. Because for a brief time that afternoon, the unthinkable happened. God the Father abandoned the Son. And the son no no longer addresses him as father. He addresses him as my God. That afternoon, that relationship was broken. Jesus took the place of humanity and cried out, my God, so that we could then call God our father. Did you get that? Jesus took the place of humanity And cried out, my God, so that we could then call out our Father. It's impossible for us as humans to even imagine what Jesus was going through. But we have these words from the cross. Give us some insight into Jesus' suffering. Because it wasn't really the pain or the shame that hurt worst. It was a sense of abandonment by the Father. This is what salvation cost him. Our salvation. This is what cost him. But we can also learn from Jesus' cry to God. And the first thing we learn is what I said earlier. It's okay to have these kinds of feelings and to vent them. Just like Jesus did on the cross. To feel Pain and sadness is normal. It's the way God made us. And to feel those kinds of feelings and to express them is normal. Even if we never experience the sense of abandonment that Jesus experienced, it's okay to acknowledge acknowledge it when we feel depressed, abandoned. And, you know, the psalmist did. When people wanted to kill him, he, that's when he wrote those words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, he was devoted to God, right? And yet things were not going well for him. 
he clung to God and he was loyal to God, but at the same time, he felt depressed and abandoned. So if he felt that way, it's okay for us to feel that way. Same with Job. Job suffered more than any other person in the Old Testament. Felt abandoned by God, deserted by God, forsaken by God. And he shouts his anger at God. It's part of his humanness. It's part of our humanness too. It's okay to feel like Job. Okay? And the same with Jesus. Jesus was the son of God, right? Is the son of God. The heart and mind of God in the flesh. In the moment of the deepest darkness in the land and the deepest darkness in his heart, even Jesus felt that God had abandoned him. And he shouted at the heavens. It's okay to feel like Jesus, right? So when you feel that God has abandoned you, and you express those feelings, which I very much encourage you to do, you're in good company. You're in the company of the psalmist, you're in the company of Job, and in your company of Jesus. When you lose a loved one, whether it's through death or divorce or whatever, and you feel sadness, disappointment, and grief, remember that that's okay. You know, you can express it to God, and that's okay. Because the psalmist did that, and Job did that, even Jesus did that. Second thing we learn from Jesus' words actually comes from a sermon uh, by Charles Spurgeon. In 1872, Spurgeon wrote a sermon on this text. Um, Spurgeon was one of the great, greatest preachers of his time. Uh, and he says, in Jesus' darkness hour, with darkness all around him, Jesus hung on to God with both hands. He says, you know, his left hand said, my God, and his right hand said, my God, and he hung on to God with both hands. Even in the middle of all of that, he's still talking to his father, right? It's easy to believe in God when life is going great, when smiles, you know, when everything is going fine, when life smiles on you. It's easy to believe in God. It's much more difficult when life frowns on you. It's easy, Spurgeon says, it's easy to believe in God when you're wearing silver slippers and the path is smooth and easy. I've never worn silver slippers, so I don't know what that's like. But it's much more difficult to believe in God when your feet are blistered and the path is rocky. And sometimes life can be incredibly hard. But on the worst day in human history, Jesus held on to God with both hands. And we can do the same. Hang on to him in our darkest days. Lots of dark days. It's interesting. There's a... There's a um, <clears throat> different people post different things in the current um, virus crisis. One of the things that I've seen a lot of is people posting stuff about the Black Death in, in Europe. Um, killed 100 million people in the 14th century. It took three centuries for population levels to recover back to where they were before the Black Death. 80 million people killed during World War II. Six million Jews exterminated in gas chambers. Terrorist attacks. Mass shootings. Pandemics. And then there's the dark days that don't make it into the news because they're not newsworthy, right? 
but they're no less dark for those going through them. The loss of a loved one. The death of a dream. Even being informed by the government that you have two weeks to leave the country that you love and you've built a life in. Dark days. And in those dark days, God invites us to do what Jesus did in his darkest hour. And you find him hanging on the cross, hanging on to God with all of his power, while at the same time telling him just exactly how he feels. And the third thing that we learn from Jesus is, from this word of Jesus on the cross, is that these aren't his last words. Like I said, we're in the middle of the series. These are not Jesus' last words. The story doesn't end with depression and emotional exhaustion. The story doesn't end with, why have you forsaken me? They're not the end of the story. Some commentators look at Psalm 22 and Psalm 23 as a pair. That makes a lot of sense. After all, the, the book of Psalms didn't just happen. You know, it didn't spontaneously appear. It was put together by people, an editor, maybe probably editors. And they didn't just throw things together. I mean, we have writers in our midst who know you don't just throw books together. So it's no accident that right after Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, comes Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Job complained to God when he had lost all his processions, his family, everything. And he railed at God. He yelled at God in his anger. But those aren't his last words. He also says towards the end of the book, I know that my Redeemer lives. So his feelings of abandonment were not his last words. It's the same with Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Weren't his last words. His last words were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it is finished. The relationship is restored. Easter always trumps Good Friday. The fam that famous sermon, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming, right? Easter always trumps Good Friday. During the Second World War, a Jew in hiding in Germany scratched these words on a cellar wall. I believe in the sun, even when it's not shining. I believe in love, even when I do not feel it. And I believe in God, even when he's silent. By the time we get to Easter Sunday, God's silence will be over. And we'll hear the words, he is not here, he is risen. Amen. Words that bring hope on the other side of pain. But for now... This is where we stand. Hearing Jesus' words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in those words, we're reminded that Jesus was human, just like us. That he felt rejection, just like us. And in those words, he gives you and me permission to cry out and tell God just exactly how we feel without sanitizing it 
or making it sound spiritual or waiting until we have everything sorted out and then saying retro, you know, retrospectively, well, I used to feel this way, but now I'm great. No. We have permission to tell God exactly how we feel as we're feeling it. And we know that he will hear us just as he heard Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you give us permission to cry out to you, to express exactly how we feel to you. Thank you, Lord, that even if there's nobody else around who can, who we feel comfortable sharing those things with, you are there to hear us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've, you've modeled for us what it means to be transparent in these things. Give us the grace, Lord, we pray, to be people of integrity, not afraid to speak to you and tell you how we feel. Because only you, in the final analysis, can walk us through the pain that we experience. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.